This is a, certainly a special Sunday, not only because it's Father's Day, but because we have people that have made a decision to follow Jesus, and they're not ashamed of it. And we know they're not ashamed of it because they've chosen to be baptized right here, right now in front of you, and to make public their declaration about their love for Jesus and their desire to follow him all the days of their life. And because it's Father's Day, it's pretty special that we get to have the opportunity for fathers to baptize their children. And so Ben and Richard are going to baptize their children. And do you have a microphone? Yes. So I will let Richard go first. And Richard, if you just want to if you want to say a little bit about your daughter, and I know we dads can go on and on about our kids, so if you can Is that a warning? It, yeah, kind of. <laughs> the girls asked me, uh, are you going to cry when you baptize Adelia? And I said, I cry in insurance commercials, and you're not even in those. So it's funny, when, uh, when you're 20, in your 20s, and you have like the, the bucket list, it's, I'm going to travel Europe, and I'm going to do these grand things, and then... You find yourself at 42 and you think, I want to not have a heart attack and I want to uh, give my daughters away and I want to baptize them. There it is. So this is a special day. Adelia Dawn Harvey is my daughter. She's right here. She's one of my daughters. And uh, she was led to the Lord by her teacher at school. I'm forever grateful for her. But I'm also forever grateful for this moment to be able to baptize her. Adelia Dawn Harvey. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. All right, Adelia. Upon profession of your faith and in front of all these witnesses and the great crowd of witnesses that have gone before you, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Emma. Um, Emma was born after a pretty, a pretty crazy time with our family. Amy had um, lost her mother to pancreatic cancer. And uh, soon after that, we found out we were pregnant with her. And we decided to name her Emma Faith. And Emma means complete or whole. And so we thought Emma Faith was a great name for just our God and the testimony he can be, and the testimony that she has been, this is a girl that loves me more than I deserve um, and loves others so well. She feels so deeply, and um, I'm just absolutely honored to get to be her father and to get to uh, be a part of this moment. So, Emma, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And, Emma, upon that confession of faith, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit.
it is an honor, sorry, to baptize anyone, especially your own child. This next person, Andy Fowler, come on up. And I met Andy, actually, when you were in sixth grade. I was substitute teaching, and so how many years has that been? Eight years ago, I met Andy when I was substitute teaching here at the junior high. And I just knew right then there was something special about Andy and the gift that God's given him and, and who he is and where God's going to take him. And so I feel really honored and privileged to have this opportunity today to baptize you. Andy, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I do. All right. Then on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let's just give them another round of applause and let them know how much we appreciate them. Come here, buddy. And it is such an honor and a joy to be able to baptize people and for them to make that profession of faith. My hands are really wet. Can I get a towel before I grab my Bible and baptize my Bible? <laughs> Thanks. Well, today's Father's Day, and I couldn't help but think about the various stages that a father goes through. And what we as fathers have to experience, what we get to experience. And if you follow me at all on social media, you know that I've been gone all week in the back country of the Black Hills National Forest without cell phone reception of any kind and seeing things that you'll never see from the car or from the tourist areas. And so I strapped on my 30-pound pack Started out with an elevation of 5,500 feet, which is higher than the city of Denver, and hiked up to 7,300 feet, which is the highest point between the Rockies and the Great Pyrenees in France. It's the highest point between those two mountain ranges, and that covers a lot of geography. And I will tell you that the air is definitely thinner, and it takes a lot of work when you've got 30-some pounds strapped to your back, walking through, and, and there were challenges on that trail. There were challenges not only to breathe, there were challenges to keep an eye on the deer that are 10 feet away following you. There are challenges to keep out from mountain lions. They don't have bear problems, they have mountain lion problems. And the difference between a mountain lion and a bear is a bear will just charge at you and maul you. Mountain lions will stalk you for about a mile and then they will attack you from behind. And you'll never know that they were there. And so our guide told us, he said, when you're hiking and you get a sense, he said, you'll feel a sense that you're being stalked. You want to loosen the chest strap, let go of the belt strap, let the pack hang so that when you do get attacked, I'm like, when I do get attacked, what is, what, whoa, time out, this is why I got you up here. But when you do get attacked, they will jump you and pull the pack off and then you can take off. And so thankfully, we never had, I never had to experience that because we were hiking as a pack 
uh, a group of four of us, and typically mountain lions don't attack packs of people. They attack you when you're by yourself. And so needless to say, um, I never left my tent at night. Um, even when Mother Nature was calling me, I decided that I will just sleep through it and will not go out there by myself at night. But there were stages along this trail. There were stages. And a lot like life as a father, there are stages. And sometimes some, some things in life stalk you and you don't know they're there until suddenly they spring upon you. Sometimes they're there just following you. And so today, we're going to talk about those three stages as a father and we're going to take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 10. In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, we have King Solomon. King Solomon is dead. Uh, this, is the, this is now the transition to what will be their fourth king. We had Saul, then David, then Solomon. And through all of these kings, Israel followed and did well. And they, and they grew as a nation. And especially under Solomon, they became a very strong, wealthy nation. In fact, Solomon is considered one of the wisest men ever in the history of humanity. Um, and he ranks right up there amongst the wisest of all men. He's got a whole book called Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, chock full of just common sense for life and wisdom. Well, here he's passed away. And now he's handing over his kingdom to his son. So they're kind of on this trail, if you will, of kingship, making this transition. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, we have this. You can, if, if, uh, you can get that up on the screen, great. If not, no worries. They don't, I'm going with no notes today, so if you can get that on the screen, great. If not, again, no worries. 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. Now, just real quick, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And so like any monarchy, it's going to pass on from king to son. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they went for Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but, uh, but uh, now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we'll serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. So the people went away. The king Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served with his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, the people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, and my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And so we have this whole transition and Rehoboam is saying, okay, how do I serve as king? How do I rule my people as king? It's inherently, you notice in the first few verses, immediately they look for a leader. Men, I'm going to tell you right now, your family looks for a leader. In the book of Ephesians, it says that, men, you are the leader of your house. Now, whether you act like a leader doesn't matter or not, God views you as the leader. So you will either step up to the role or you will advocate your role and let somebody else take the role. But somebody will lead your family. It will either be society, it will be your spouse, it will be somebody else that leads your family. Just because you 
have the title of leader does not mean that you always act like a leader. And unfortunately, that's kind of to our detriment, is it not? And by leader, we see in this verse, there's two types of leaders. Though King Solomon was very wise, we also know that King Solomon was heavy-handed as a king. In all of his wisdom, he was extremely heavy-handed, very um, tough as a king. And so they're looking for a leader. Your kids are looking for a leader. Your spouse is looking for a leader. Your spouse is looking for somebody to say, hey, at 10 o'clock, the internet's shut off. Hey, we're not watching that show. We're going here and we're going there, and I'm going to lead this family. Do I have problems and flaws? Yes. Am I perfect? No, but I'm going to lead. And here's what I can tell you as a leader. As a leader, to lead is to bleed. To lead is to bleed. It means that sometimes as a leader, and I can tell you just from leading this church, sometimes you're going to want it more for your kids than your kids want it for themselves, and it's going to be the most painful thing you've ever experienced because you want it for them, but they don't really want it for themselves. I can tell you as a pastor and as a leader, I want the person to break the addiction more than they want to break the addiction. I want the marriage whole more than they want the marriage whole. I want things fixed more than they want it fixed. And it hurts and it causes you to bleed. But what you got to do is continue, continue to love and continue to serve. Real leaders serve. You see, when we were hiking, our guide that we had hired, our guide knew, knew the, the back country of the Black Hills Forest. And just by comparison, if you've never been, let me, let me give, put this in perspective. How many of you have been to the Smoky Mountains? Let me see, you've been, okay, almost all of you. Right, so by comparison, the Smoky Mountain National Park is 552,000 acres. 552,000 acres. The Black Hills National Forest is 1.2 million acres. So it's double, a little bit more than double, the size of the Smoky Mountain National Park. So when you're in the backcountry with no cell phone service and no contacts with anyone, you, you have to follow the guide, right? And as, as we're going along, the guide, sometimes the guide is behind. In fact, most of the time, the guy who knows what's going on is behind those he's leading. He's behind letting them set the way and then just kind of from behind saying, hey, hang, hang a right here or, or turn left at this tree. And sometimes he was in the front. You see, as a father, there's going to be stages in your child's life. And there are three stages as a father with your children, the first stage is you lead from the front. When they're young and they don't know what's going on and they don't know their right hand from their left hand, they're learning to walk all the way up until somewhere around junior high. And, and of course, every child is different. You lead from the front. You tell them where to go. You tell them when to brush their teeth. You tell them you're in charge. You're leading from the front. And that's your job as a father when they're young is to lead from the front because they don't they don't know right from wrong. They need a dad who's there to instruct them and to guide them and to tell them, hey, we need to do this today, right? You, you need somebody to, to go out in front and, and, and to lead. And then the second stage, the second stage of your child's life, you don't lead from the front, you transition. 
And somewhere around the age of junior high, you know when they get in junior high and they start trying to be all snotty and mean and they try to get their independence and they want to push their independence and prove to you they can do life on their own? Guess what you're doing? You're shifting. You're no longer leading from the front and your leadership now is beside. And you say, do you think it would be wise to hang out with that person? Where's that person going to be when they're 40 years old? Do you want to be like that? And you start leading with questions and you start leading with ideas. And yes, you still, you still maintain the rules of the house. You still, you still father them. You still love them. You still pat them on the head. You still hug them. Tell them you love them. But dad, let me tell you something about this stage. This is a tough transition. This is a hard transition. You see, the people were looking for Rehoboam to, to lead. They, they still need a leader, but the style of leadership as a dad changes. And you're no longer telling them what to do all the time as much as you are saying, now, is that, is that a habit you want to create in your life? Because what happens at the junior high stage is they start creating habits that will stay with them the rest of their life. And if they, get, if they begin a habit that is unhealthy, then as an adult, it will seep into their kids and their marriage, etc. And then their kids will have that same habit. So the junior high stage is extremely tricky. And when I say junior high, I understand that every child is different. So at the second stage of leadership as a father, you're leading from the side. And the third stage of leadership is a little tough, and it's more like what our guide mostly did. You lead from behind, and you let them make their decisions, and you let them decide things, and you let them figure things out. And unless they're going to do something inherently like way off completely not healthy and not good, then you need to step in like our guy did. He's like, guys, let me take it from here for a minute. And he would come up and he'd take the front and then we would follow. But somewhere around high school, early high school, dads, we step back and see if all of the leading and all of the training and all of the things that we've done are coming to fruition. Because in that when you do that, they're still under your roof. They're still under your care, and you can still say, okay, stop, stop, you're not doing that. That's not healthy. I'm not going to prevent that. Why? Because I don't want my grandkids doing that. I don't want my grandkids acting that way. You start preparing them for life while they're still under your roof so that when they get out from your house, they're not going, oh, Dad never said what to do here. Now, in that in-between stage, that junior high stage, Dad, you're an idiot, <laughs> Right? Like, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. You don't know what's going on. And like Rehoboam in our story, unfortunately, what's going to happen? You see, Rehoboam went to Solomon's elders, the men that had ruled with Solomon and the men that Solomon had consulted. They realized that now Solomon's dead and there needs to be some change. There has to be change in your life. Things have to, have to change. Changes the only constant, and the more comfortable we are with change, the better life is going to be for us. And so they realize that Solomon's too heavy-handed. Rehoboam says, guys, what do you think? Do you think I should rule like my dad Solomon, or how do you think? And they said, if you lighten the load on these people and give them some freedom, they will serve you forever. But Rehoboam's king now. I've got more choices. I've got more freedom than I've ever had hmm, you know what, I think I, I think I like this thing as a king. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll do it the way I want to. I don't like your advice. 
So guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to go back to the people that I grew up with, the guys I went to elementary school with, the guys I graduated with. I'm going to see what they think. Oh, guess what? They're all my age too. And here's the dilemma as a father. Your advice is being put up against the advice of their friends at school. And they got to decide what they're going to follow. Oh, you can lord it over them. Look, buddy, I've been on this planet far longer than your friends have. Let me tell you some stuff. Would have followed the elders. The Bible never tells us that Rehoboam was wise. It just says he was the leader. And he goes back to the guys he graduated high school with who are all doing whatever they want. And he says, what do you guys think? Well, now here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to have some power, some control. Well, you thought my father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. I'm going to make it harder. I'm going to, make, I'm going to be more heavy-handed. I'm going to put more pressure on you. And the Bible goes on to say that when Rehoboam made that decision, when Rehoboam made that decision, Jeroboam was in the wings waiting. Everybody in this room who is a child and you have parents, so that even goes for you that are 50 and your parents are still alive, and that goes for you that are five and your parents are still alive and you still have parents. There's always somebody waiting in the wings to take your kid down the wrong path. They're just waiting. And that's what he's doing. He hears Solomon is dead. Solomon banished him from the kingdom. He hears Solomon's dead and he comes back and he says, no, 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 no. I should be king. I'm in charge. I'll tell you what to do. And the Bible says from that moment, he went south. Not south in like morals and stuff. He went to the south of Israel, the nation. And the nation of Israel split between the north and the south. Does this sound familiar? And for the rest of Israel's history, there would be a north Israel and a south Israel. Israel to the north was called Israel. Israel to the south was called Judah. Judah, And they would there would be civil war between the north and the south in Israel until eventually the nation was no more. So my question to you today is, how are you leading, dads? Are you a heavy-handed ruler? Or are you taking advice from your dad and from other dads and working to raise men and women? Let me tell you the difference between raising a boy and raising a girl, and you're like, Tyson, you got two boys. What would you know about raising a girl? Well, I know this. I know that men, and if you have a boy, you're raising a man. Men want to be appreciated. Women want to be loved. And there's a big difference. So here's a little bit of marriage counseling for you. When you're raising a man, they need to hear what Jesus heard when he was baptized. This is my son, and I'm pleased with him. I'm proud of you. Men need to feel appreciated more than they need to feel loved. And so I'm proud of you. Good job. That's awesome. You rock at that. You're the man. That's what a boy needs to hear. A girl needs to hear, I love you. You're beautiful. I care for you. That's the difference. Does a boy need to hear from his dad, I love you? Absolutely. 
but he's going to cherish I'm proud of you more than he's going to cherish I love you. I'm proud of you. Do it. Go conquer that thing. Go catch that fish. Go get first place. Go do whatever. Go get that trophy. Hunt it, hunt it, hunt it down, baby. Go get it. Daughter, I love you. You're an amazing woman. You're going to make an amazing wife someday. I can't fathom how awesome of a woman of God you're going to be. You speak that life into them. And so as we find in the transition of Solomon, his son decided not to follow the advice of the elders that ruled with his dad who said, you know, we really need to lighten the load on the people and let them love and serve you. He said, I, you know, I'm not really big on that advice. I think I'll just, I think I'm going to go listen to the people that I grew up with and see what they have to say. Let's follow their ways. Let's do what they want. And the result, you've got a north and a south. You have Israel and Judah that would end up in civil war and fighting and bickering and everything else until eventually, as we know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's Bible, not Abraham Lincoln, by the way. And they fell and were carried into captivity again. And so here's what I want to say, dads, to you in closing is this. You have to, at some point, decide, is my child old enough to start making these types of decisions? And is it scary? You bet it is. Are they going to do everything just like you did? No. Do you do everything like your dad did? No. Do you... Will they make mistakes as they learn? Yes, but your dad, your job as a dad is to be there beside them, to raise them up and say, okay, it's fine. You made a mistake. Let's move forward. It's not the end of the world. Why? Because I guarantee you've made mistakes. I know I have. I know I've failed a lot as a father. I know I have. That's part of being human. But there's also grace, Right? Are your sons going to be involved in stuff that you never thought that you'd ever want to be involved with? Yes. But a dad goes with his son and says, okay, I'm going to learn. I'm going to try to understand this. I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. Go with your girl, right? And so, dad, when, when your daughter wants you to put on the tiara and drink tea with her teddy bear, put on the tiara, drink the tea, right? When, you're, when your son wants you to do something that you have no idea what to do, don't, don't look at your son and go, well, back in my day, because you know when you say that, you know what you've done to your son? You've immediately discredited everything that he's trying to explore, and you're telling him, that's not good enough. Well, back in my day, every time I see that on Facebook, my, the hairs on the back of my neck bristle. You remember back in my day when, you know, the video games looked like this, and we, had to, we couldn't save our video games. We had to either play it all the way through, or, or you just didn't start it. You know, you start a video game, and then mom calls you for dinner, and ah, you got to shut it off, and now you got to start all over again. Back in my day, we didn't have this. Back in my day, and you know what that does? That cuts your kid down and says, you're not good enough. Because back in my day, it was tougher. It made me better. You'll never be as good as I am. Inherently, that's what you're saying. And inherently, I've said that a lot. And I know I'm going to hear it from my kids on the way home. They'll be like, yeah, Dad, you say that a lot. But the unwritten, what's not being said in that statement is, you'll never be as good as my generation. You'll never amount to what we did. Now, we know, we all know, we all know that the generations that went on before us were tougher, harder. I remember a conversation that I had with 
my grandpa before he passed away towards the end of his life. We were sitting there, and we were watching ESPN, and we were talking because he was an ESPN sports junkie, and so we were watching sports and talking, and, and I remember Jeremiah was just little, and he was down on the floor playing with his Bob the Builder stuff, and sorry, Jeremiah, it's just the way it is, and he's playing Bob the Builder on the floor, and I, I was sitting there with my grandpa watching stuff, and I, I, I must have left Lynn that night. I don't know what. She was probably some girl like, let's go get our toes done. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go do that one time because I've heard it t- feels really good. So, and you're not going to take my man card either. But I said, Grandpa, what, you know, because my grandpa was raised poor and he, he had the, he dropped out of high school to, to he dropped out of high school in 10th grade to uh, provide for his mom and for his family. And, and he ended up doing pretty good for himself and getting a job at GM and so on. And, and as we sat there, I said, what? I said, were the, were the good old days, I mean, were they better than this? I mean, they had to be better. And I'm talking about him growing up laying there with a hole in the wall, watching the snow fall on him as he's in bed and not having plumbing, but simply having a can that goes into a hole in the ground to, to, to bathe for the bath water. And I said, weren't, weren't the good old days better? And he said, you know what? He goes, in some ways, yeah, they were slower. He goes, but if by better you mean that I can't get up from this chair and go adjust the temperature in my house? No, they weren't better. <laughs> they weren't better at all. Are you kidding me? Like, he just laughed at me. I went, oh, okay. He said, what matters are the lessons that you bring forward. It's the Jesus that you bring forward. Does, is life getting easier in a lot of ways? Yes. That's what he was telling me. He was telling me life's getting easier in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways we're leaving some things behind in the process. Dad, your job is to instill in the process the things that have got you to where you're at. And the one thing that I tell my boys, this, this got me through everything. And when I ignored this, I got myself in trouble a lot and did stupid things. The only difference is, is there, we didn't have social media to post it, so you don't know whether or not I truly did it or not. Right? So praise God for that. That social media wasn't around when I was a kid. But ask yourselves, Dad, where, where am I at with my child? Am I leading from the front? Is it time to lead from the side? Or is it time to lead from behind? And here's what was interesting on our trails in the back country of the Black Hills. Sometimes... We didn't know where to go, and I was in, out in front, and then sometimes my partner, Rick, was in front, and we alternated. But in closing, I know I said that two times. So in closing, though, when the guide would go to the back, and we weren't sure which way to go, and he was silent, because, Dad, sometimes you just need to be quiet and let him make a decision. Along the trail in the Black Hills, there is this stuff. I learned this from a park ranger. There's this stuff called schist, S-H-I-S-T, schist. Yeah. And it was all over the trail. And it only, S-H-I-S-T, it only shines when the sun comes out. It's a form of mineral. It's in rocks, and you can peel it off, and it's as thin as paper. But when you keep pushing it and crumbling it, it becomes fine powder and fine dust. And I have it all over my hiking shoes. And when the sun hits it, the trail, it glistens, it glows. 
And I knew which direction to go, even though the guide was behind me, because the sun was lighting the trail. Dads, sometimes you're going to have to trust the son, Jesus, to lead your kid as you lead from behind. And I knew, oh, the trail goes that way. And I'm telling you, it was the weirdest thing. I thought a unicorn had come down and spread sprinkles on the trail. Never seen anything like it. I, picked, I actually reached down on a rock and I peeled a whole layer off. And when you go to the gift store, whether it's in Custer or Deadwood or wherever, you can buy at a gift store for, you know, us tourists, you can buy sheets of schist that's, it looks like you hold it up and you can see right through it. It's like glass, but it's as thin as aluminum foil. And it's all over the trails. And the leader behind us knew. He's like, just follow the schist wherever it's at. Let the sun shine on it. Dad's when you don't have an answer, trust Jesus to lead your kids through the mess and through the wilderness. Let's stand up. If you're here this morning and maybe you saw these people being baptized and you're like, man, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to follow Jesus, and trust that the sun will shine down, and I know which way to go. Because there were big pieces of that mineral, but then there was crushed pieces of that mineral. And we knew where to go because the crushed ones meant that somebody had walked there before. The big ones don't go that way. It means they haven't been crushed up yet. Nobody's gone that way. If that's you and you want Jesus to light your trail to lead, then I want to invite you to come forward. And I want to, I want to invite Richard, if you would come down, and Lynn, if you would come down on this side. As we close with, with a song, and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, one of two ways. Come down and pray. They're going to lead you to Jesus we want you to be baptized. We'll schedule another baptism service. Or if you want to check the card, we have the blue comment cards. You can check that I'm following Jesus, and I want him to light the trail in my life. You can mark that card, and we'll follow up with you this week. I'll give you a call. We'll sit. We'll talk. If you need prayer for anything else, as a father, as a mother, or just as an individual, we want to pray with you.